Um, Father, I want to thank you that the faith uh, that we come uh, to think about and talk about and sing about this morning is not a faith that is just about history, that's not just about things that happened long ago uh, in a faraway place. But it's about the fact that because those things happened, because Jesus died and rose again, in the here and now, your spirit is present. In the here and now, your love can invade our lives and bring healing and bring hope and bring resurrection and bring transformation. And we're really aware this morning of lots of places in our lives and in our community and in the lives of people we love where we need that this week. We need your healing power. We need your comforting presence. We need your love to invade. And Father, I want to pray as we open up your word this morning that you would speak with power right to where we're living, right to whatever is going on in the deep places of our hearts. Would you come and speak by your word and would you speak by your spirit in a way that would cause deep change uh, to our lives and to our families and to our community. Father, help us to listen uh, to your word of life this morning. And um, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, this is what happens when people make me emotional before I get up to speak. And then I've got to blow my nose into the microphone. So um, let's, uh, let's read together. We're going to... We're going to read this morning from Philippians chapter 3, uh, reading from verse 12, and we're jumping in, uh, following on immediately from what we were reading uh, last week, and I'll do a little reminder in a minute about what we were talking about last week, but let's first of all read Philippians chapter 3, reading from verse 12. Paul, Paul writes, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
There's a lot. Um, there's a lot in, in those verses, and we're not going to try and talk about um, all of it. But I want to focus on a few of the big themes um, in this section. But first of all, um, just a little maybe recap that takes us back to last week. Um, last week we reflected together on this amazing good news uh, back in verse nine that. We don't need to build our own righteousness based on our religious performance, which uh, tends to leave us always anxious and worrying about whether we've done enough or whether we're good enough or whether we are enough. Um, because through faith in Jesus, we have been given, given as a gift uh, a righteousness from God. We've been brought into a right relationship with God where we are forgiven, where we are loved, where we are welcome where we are delighted in as his children. And that status, that place where we stand, doesn't fluctuate depending on how we're doing today or how we're doing this week. We have been given that gift uh, by God's grace, received through faith. And so that's what we were celebrating and thinking about and rejoicing in last week. But maybe as we come into this week, part of what we need, we need to reflect on is that amazing good news can sometimes lead to a kind of misunderstanding where some people can think because salvation has been given as a free gift received by faith, there is literally nothing for us to do today. Uh, we're sitting in the armchair of salvation and there's nothing for us to do today except be thankful for our salvation and wait for heaven and we, we, kinda, we live between those two moments of our conversion, our being born again, and our going to glory. But here in the middle, where we are living, there's really not much for us to do. Um, that's a misunderstanding that um, can easily come about. And we can end up, as a result, kind of setting up camp and just settling where we are. I'm just settling in to wait for glory. And it's a very static vision of the Christian life. There's not a lot of movement to it. Um, and I want to suggest this morning, it's also a very boring vision of the Christian life. You get saved, you go to heaven, and in between, what do you do? You read your Bible, pray every day, that's good. Um, you come to church every now and again, that's good. What, what else is there? Um, and for some people, there's a very boring vision of what it means to actually be a Christian in the meantime. Uh, and I want to I wanna look to Paul for some help in kind of puncturing that boring view uh, of the Christian life. Paul offers a very different vision of the Christian life, which is a life of pressing on towards a goal. That's the, I think for me, the dominant phrase in what we read. I am pressing on towards the goal. It's a life with direction and purpose and movement and I think it's very much um, Paul is using the image of a runner with their eyes on the finish line. Um, he's, he doesn't bring the, the image of a runner in the sense of competing with other people. Uh, we're not to push the metaphor in that direction because we're, we're not meant to be comparing ourselves to those around us. But it's all about the goal. It's all about eyes fixed on the finish line, eyes fixed on the goal. Um, it's an image of having a really clear idea of where we're going and not being distracted by anything behind us or anything around us. Um, and for me, as I read 
Paul's language. Twice he says, I press on. He says, I'm straining ahead. And you get this sense of a runner straining every muscle and exerting themselves and their lungs kind of bursting and they're given everything they've got to get to that goal. It's wholehearted pursuit of something really worthwhile, of something really glorious, of something really good. That's the the image that Paul gives us of the Christian life. It's not sitting in an armchair waiting to die, waiting to go to heaven. Um, It is charging wholeheartedly um, towards something good and glorious. Um, Maybe if you'll allow me a a little technical um, phrase uh, for a second. Um, Paul's view of salvation is not transactional, but relational. What I mean by that, what, what I mean by that is Paul doesn't have a view of salvation that when you get born again, you have this transaction with God where we have faith and we ask him to give us forgiveness and righteousness and heaven. Um, and he kind of gives it to us. And it's like a little possession that we then keep in a box and possess. Paul's view of salvation is relational. What we've been brought into by being born again um, that righteousness that we've been brought into is a, a living relationship um, that changes everything. And because, because that's his view of salvation, his view of the Christian life is not static. It's not sitting with this possession called salvation um, or righteousness or whatever. It is incredibly dynamic. Um, it is not boring, but it is full of challenge and full of adventure. Um, and maybe we could say in Paul's image we are not settlers but we are pilgrims we are going somewhere we're on our way we are adventuring uh, and we're going somewhere really interesting and really good and really beautiful Um, that's kind of our key image that I want us to think about this morning and maybe I want you to reflect a little bit Um, are you a are you a settler just sitting in your armchair waiting for the end (laughs) tiptoeing through life to get safely to death Or are you a pilgrim? Are you on a journey? Are you running the race? Are you heading for a goal with real purpose and real adventure? Um, I guess I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking, um, I I think there are reasons why we urgently need to recover this kind of vision from Paul um, in our time. Um, Maybe let me just mention a couple of reasons why I think that might be important. Um, One is that I think... um, Right now in our culture, um, many people in our culture are really bored. They are struggling with lack of purpose and lack of direction and lack of meaning and with an overwhelming sense sometimes of what's the point? What's the point in today? What's the point in tomorrow? What's the point in life? And many people struggle as a result with depression and even suicidal thoughts. Um, But many other people just are amusing themselves to death and entertaining themselves to death because there's not much else to fill the void. Um, And I think in that scenario, there's an opportunity for Christians to offer a compelling vision um, of a life that is full of direction and purpose and meaning. Um, Sometimes it seems to me, if people come to us in the church and say, I'm burdened down by guilt and shame, We know what to say. We take them to the cross. We take them to Jesus. Um, If someone comes to us and says, I'm worried about life after death, we know what to say. We take them to Jesus. We we 
tell them, tell them to have faith in Jesus and they have the promise of heaven. But sometimes if someone comes to us and says, I'm really bored by life. I don't know what the point is of today, tomorrow, these days one after another. I wonder, do we have something to say as Christians into that void? Um, I think we do. Um, so there's something there that I think is really vital for our generation. People talk about a crisis of meaning in our culture. And many people just wonder, what is the meaning of human life? Um, and I think we have something to say. And maybe another reason why I think there's an urgency about recovering this vision is that in the wider picture, in our culture, many younger people and many young adults are drifting away from church. And there's lots of reasons why that's happening. But I think one of them is a lack of a compelling vision for a life of purpose and adventure and challenge and a frankly bland and boring vision of what it means to be a believer. Um, they're told how to get their sins forgiven. They're told how to go to heaven when they die, but they're not given a vision for life in the meantime. Um, and so sometimes there's a drifting away that happens out of boredom. Um, I think we need to be able to give each other uh, and give ourselves and give the world a vision for a life that is pressing towards the goal. You can tell me later on um, if you agree with those, those reflections about, um, I guess, our time and our culture. Um, but before we look at Paul's positive visions, I'm going to focus in a minute on what is Paul's positive vision of pressing towards the goal. Uh, but just for a second, we need to pause um, and mention one other danger. Because um, as I read, you may have noticed in verse 18 and verse 19, um, some very stern, stark words that Paul speaks. Um, a little bit like earlier on in the chapter when he warned us about uh, certain dangers. Again, Paul speaks uh, in a very stern way. Um, and I think um, here in these verses, we can maybe see a glimpse of another misunderstanding of the gospel. Um, some people take their misunderstanding of the gospel a step further. And they say, if my sins are forgiven and heaven is sure, then it doesn't really matter how I live in the meantime. In other words, if my soul is saved, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body while I'm here on earth. And so some people can end up saying either out loud or implicitly um, that they believe in Jesus and his cross, but I'm going to live my days following my own desires and appetites. I don't think the people Paul's describing here are people outside the church. I think they're people who say they believe in Jesus and say they believe in the cross. But Paul says their God is their stomach. What, is, what does Paul mean by that? I don't think it's just about food, but it's about our appetites and our desires. It's a, an attitude to life that says, I am just going to follow whatever I fancy, whatever I desire, whatever I want. I'm going to eat what I want, drink what I want, sleep with who I want, watch what I want, think what I want, um, buy what I want. And it comes simply from following our own appetites. And it's very much an image of like Adam and Eve in the garden. If I see something that looks good, I'm going to take it. Right? That's, that's what it means for your, your belly to be your God, for your, your stomach to be your God. And Paul's, Paul's warning is really stark. Paul warns that the results are disastrous. He says, you end up with a mind 
that is completely consumed with earthly things. And Paul says you end up glorifying in things that are actually shameful. He says these people glory in their shame. And he says really bluntly, they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul says, I'm saying this with tears. I think he's talking about people who say, I believe in Jesus and I believe in the cross, but they are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul says, um, Paul is saying, whenever you say you believe in Jesus and his cross, you can't just live by your own appetites and desires. When you trust Jesus as your saviour, you also submit to him as your king and your Lord. And that means bringing all your desires and appetites to him and asking him to change you from within. And so if you live just by your own appetites, you're saying by your life, my God is my stomach. Um, And Paul says again, very sternly, very starkly, their destiny is destruction. And I think there Paul is talking both about this life and the life to come. A way of life where we indulge our own selfish desires will be destructive of everything good. It will be damaging for us. It will be damaging for those around us. And it ultimately leads to spiritual disaster. And I think there is a warning here about a final and eternal destruction. Very, very stark warning that Paul posts. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, and then live out your days as if all that matters is your own appetites. We must submit ourselves to Jesus as king. So having said those stern words, um, I want to come back to Paul's positive vision. Um, If we are runners pressing on towards the goal, um, then we need to know what the goal is. We need to be clear about what the goal is. And so um, I want to consider with you a couple of possibilities about what the goal might be. Uh, Maybe I'll say in advance, these fall in the category of, um, I don't know if you remember watching Catchphrase with Roy Walker. And do you remember Roy Walker used to say, it's good, but it's not right. Um, And so I want to suggest a couple of answers, which I think are good answers, but not quite right. And then I want to come to the one that I think is um, the the best answer. What is the goal that we are running towards as we live our days, as we live our lives? One possibility is that the goal is moral perfection. And in many ways, that can make a lot of sense. Um, We know, you and I, that we haven't yet taken hold of that. We are not yet the finished article. Um, We still struggle with sin of all kinds, with selfishness and pride and lust and envy and all kinds of things. And we are not filled uh, to overflowing yet with the goodness of God, with the holiness of God, with the love of God, with the kindness of God. We're we're not there yet. We we know we're not the finished article. Um, But I want to suggest if we make moral perfection the goal that we are running towards, we can find ourselves back in the place that we described last week, where we're constantly measuring our moral muscle and constantly anxious about our progress and wondering, am I more holy than last week? Um, Am I sinning less than I was a month ago? And we end up obsessed with kind of checking ourselves out in the moral mirror and seeing how we're doing. We can become actually very focused and consumed with ourselves, um, even as we, we kind of obsess about uh, moral perfection. 
Um, and so I think that's a good answer, but it's not quite right. Um, some of our English translations in verse 12 use the word perfect, um, but I think it can be a little bit misleading. A uh, more literal translation is, I have not yet arrived at the goal. And so that leaves open the question, what is the goal? Um, I think defining it as moral perfection can be a little bit misleading and lead us uh, in an unhealthy direction. Um, let's consider a second possibility. Uh, a second possibility is that the goal that we are running towards is heaven. Or, um, if you've been well taught in the Bible, um, life eternal in a resurrected body in the new earth. Uh, often we use heaven as a shorthand, uh, but what we really mean is resurrected life uh, in a renewed earth. Uh, is that the goal that Paul is talking about? Um, and again, that makes a certain amount of sense. And the passage that we read is definitely full of talk about our future hope and our eternal hope. And we're going to come to that in a moment. Um, it's really vital that we have a strong sense of our eternal hope, of what is waiting at the end of the race, at the end of the journey, uh, at, at our destination. But I'm not totally sure that it makes sense as the goal towards which we are running and pressing and straining. Because for someone who is trusting in Jesus, the hope of heaven, the hope of resurrection, the hope of eternal life is sure and certain, as we say at every graveside. It's something we are eagerly awaiting. But it's not clear to me what it would mean to say we're running after it. The image of running suggests we're getting closer and closer. And heaven, the hope of heaven is not something we really get closer to from the moment we, we come to Jesus, except that we're, I guess, one day, one day later in time. It's not something we make progress towards as we live our lives. So again, I think that's part of the picture, but I don't think it's the best definition of what the goal is. Moral perfection, it's a good answer. It's not quite right. Heaven, it's a good answer. Um, it's not quite right. Um, and again, um, I should say maybe the, the NIV, which I was reading from, talks about God calling us heavenward in verse 14. But that's a little bit of an over-translation because the Greek there doesn't actually mention heaven at all. And the literal translation is the upward call of God in Christ, which is a phrase I absolutely love. The upward call of God in Christ. Um, and I think that refers to something a, a little bit wider and bigger uh, than just the hope of, of heaven. So tell us, John Mark, what do you think is uh, the best answer? Um, and it's this, and this, this shouldn't be a surprise after last week. Um, the goal that we are running towards, pressing towards, um, charging towards, giving everything to run after is knowing Jesus. I think Paul gave us the answer a few verses earlier in the verses we read last week, where twice he tells us this is the one thing that is of most value to me, is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is the one thing that is worth giving everything to pursue, to run after. It's the one thing really, really worth getting out of bed for tomorrow morning and running after with everything you've got. Going deeper in friendship and fellowship with Jesus, getting to know him better, growing to love him more, walking more closely with him. Uh, and, and that is something, that vision 
of the Christian life is something that is not static, it is dynamic. There is always more for us to discover and explore as we get to know Jesus. There is always something more for us to be amazed and surprised by. We are always moving further up and further in uh, as we explore that relationship with Jesus. Um, It's a life of serious, joyful adventure, right? It's serious, but it's also joyful. And it's an adventure of discovering more and more. And by the way, um, maybe some of you are sitting thinking, um, that's a bit disappointing. That sounds a bit tame. We were talking about uh, the crisis of meaning in our culture and everybody's bored and we have an exciting vision and our vision is we're going to get up out of bed and run after this with all our heart and it's knowing Jesus. And Maybe some of you are thinking that sounds a little bit pious and inward, like we're going to all sit around just having quiet times endlessly. Um, can I, if that's your reaction, can I gently suggest that you need to take a closer look at Jesus? Uh, and by that I mean Look at the Gospels and look at what happens to people when they get to know Jesus. Look at what happens to the disciples. Because, of course, they have lovely times of sitting around with Jesus and sharing food with Jesus and talking with Jesus and praying with Jesus. But they also get drawn into the most wild adventures out in the outside world of seeing the dead raised and the the lame walking and thousands of people being fed with a few loaves and a few fish, and seeing storms being calmed, and stirring up all kinds of trouble and opposition and uh, trouble that, that they, they got into. Um, it's not a life of pious inwardness. It's about enjoying relationship with Jesus, but he always brings us out uh, into all kinds of adventure. Um, whenever you're getting to know Jesus better, he will always lead you out to your neighbor and to your enemy and into love, and into mission, and into new risks, and new adventures, and new creativity, and new courage, and new connection. But all of that is contained within what it means to pursue the goal of knowing Jesus. Um, And I wonder, can you see how that goal also contains within it the other two that we talked about, that were good, but not quite right? Because Um, As we get to know Jesus better, we will be changed to become more like him. And our desires and appetites will be changed and our habits will change and our character will change and our relationships will change. Um, But it comes not from looking at ourselves and measuring our moral muscle, but from looking at Jesus. Um, So Paul writes in another one of his letters in 2 Corinthians that as we behold the glory of Jesus, as we look at him and his beauty, we are changed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We get changed as we look away from ourselves to him. We are transformed. And this goal of knowing Jesus also contains within it the other goal of heaven. That may sound a strange thing to say, But as we get to know Jesus, we are getting a growing taste of what we're going to enjoy forever in the life of the world to come. Because there's so much that we don't know about that future life and that we are curious about and we'd love to know about, but we are not told. But what we do know with absolute certainty is that Jesus will be there. And not just that Jesus will be there, but that 
His presence is the glory of that place. It is what makes heaven, heaven. It is what gives that life and that world its glory and its beauty and its light. And so an an old hymn that we used to sing when I was young said, the lamb, speaking of Jesus, is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. The glory of Emmanuel's land is the lamb, is Jesus. Um, And so as we are waiting for heaven, as we're eagerly awaiting uh, that future, we're not waiting primarily for a place. (laughs) We're waiting for a person. And actually the way Paul describes it is we're not so much waiting to go away to a place, we're waiting for a person to come to us. He says we're eagerly awaiting a saviour from there. And when he appears, he will make all things new and he will bring all things under his own rule. And then we'll be changed. Uh, When we see him, we will be like him when we see him as he is. And so knowing Jesus as we pursue that goal contains within it our moral transformation and every other kind of transformation. And it also contains within it all that is good and blessed and glorious about heaven. Um, When we focus on something else as the goal, our spiritual life will always end up being a little bit wonky and a little bit imbalanced. When we focus on knowing Jesus as the goal, everything else gets included in him. I think that's something the New Testament tells us um, again and again. And so, bringing it into land, um, in the meantime, in the middle, uh, where you and I are living, between our new birth and the return of the king, how do we live? We live as citizens of heaven. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Um, And and it's worth remembering, um, I think, this is a deliberate and powerful phrase that Paul uses for the Philippians. Do you remember what we said about Philippi? That Philippi was a city that was established as a colony of Rome and it was made to be like a little mini Rome in the middle of Asia Minor. And everywhere you went in Philippi, there were reminders that you were under Roman rule and that Caesar is Lord and that Caesar is saviour of the world. That was the language that they used. And so Philippi was this little little colony of Rome uh, far away from from Rome itself. And so Paul really deliberately uses this image. Even as you live here on earth, you are to live as citizens of another kingdom as citizens of heaven and of the kingdom of God. Um, The Philippian Christians are to give their allegiance not to Caesar, but to Jesus as Lord, to Jesus as Saviour, and to his eternal kingdom, and live now as people belonging to that kingdom, as a colony of heaven in the middle of this world. Um, There is a way maybe of of hearing that phrase um, differently. You can hear that phrase as, my citizenship's in heaven, so I, I don't really belong here, so I'm going to sit in my armchair and sing hymns and wait for my true home, which is heaven. But I, I don't think that's where Paul is leaning his weight here. I think he is saying, as the New Testament often says, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is among you. Get on with living now as people who belong to that other kingdom so that your life becomes a little outpost of the heavenly kingdom here in the midst of this world. Um, 
you and I have already been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. If you have faith in Jesus, that's already happened. And so we live now as citizens of that eternal kingdom, reflecting the life of heaven and the values of heaven and the beauty of heaven in the middle of everyday life in this world. And so I, I love this idea. I'd love to send you into the week with that your ordinary days here in this world, what's the point? They, they can be a little outpost, a little colony of the heavenly kingdom of Jesus. Your home can be a little colony of heaven and earth. That doesn't mean it's perfect. It means that it's a place where everybody is pursuing the goal of running after Jesus and his kingdom, of running after knowing Jesus and being transformed by him. Your home can be a little outpost of the heavenly kingdom. This church, this community center can be a little colony of that heavenly kingdom here on earth. Your workplace, your office, your desk, your classroom, wherever you go this week can be an outpost, a colony of the eternal kingdom. We choose to live today as citizens of his good kingdom. And as we make that choice, what is our prayer? We pray, may your kingdom come here on earth, here on this little patch of earth, here in this place, in my life, in our lives together, as it is in heaven. And the life of heaven becomes visible uh, among us. Um, before I finish, um, I just want to mention this, that um, Paul, I didn't talk about, Paul also talks about, um, in a sense, if you're not sure what this looks like, if this all sounds a bit high-powered and highfalutin and out there somewhere, Paul says, look for people who are an example of this kind of life uh, and fix your eyes on them. Look for people who, who are running after the goal of knowing Jesus with everything they've got. Look for people who are uh, living as citizens of heaven. Um, I wonder, can you immediately think, is there a home that you know of where as soon as you walk through that door, you feel like you're in something of the atmosphere of heaven? There's something of the, the atmosphere of God's kingdom that is in that home. Go and look at people like that. Look at their example. Look at how they live. I think we, can, we all can bring people to mind um, who are examples. And maybe that's something we can talk about as we take this into the week. Who are the people for you who embody this kind of life, who are not settled in an armchair waiting for heaven, but who are running after the goal with everything they've got? Um, who are those people for you? Um, and the last thing I want to say um, is this. Um, I, and it's, it's kind of in the spirit of talking about people who are examples. Um, as I was preparing this week, I, actually, as I've been pre preparing for the series on Philippians, um, the main commentary that I've been using, will you see this, um, is this one here. Um, you think about how small Philippians is, and this is kind of colossal. Um, but it's commentary by a man called Gordon Fee, um, Gordon Fee uh, was a Pentecostal uh, Bible scholar, um, hugely influential in the church across North America and the, and the rest of the world. Um, as I was preparing this week, and especially thinking about heaven uh, and the, the journey that we're on, um, I read the news this week that Gordon Fee had died uh, just during the week. Um, he was 88 years old. 
and it was, it was expected. Uh, but I just wanted to finish with a, a really short tribute to Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee taught at Regent College uh, where I studied. He was mostly retired by the time I got there, but I got to hear him uh, a couple of times. Um, he was an unusual mix. He was a Pentecostal who really, really believed in the centrality of the Holy Spirit to the Christian life. He was also a meticulous Bible scholar who could take you deep, deep, deep into one Greek word uh, to try to understand it. And he was really passionate about holding those two things together. Um, he really believed that our study of the Bible should always lead to worship, right? That theology should always lead to doxology. Um, whenever he was younger, um, someone tried to discourage Gordon Fee from becoming a, a theologian and a Bible scholar. Uh, and they said to him, it's better to be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice, <laughs> which is a nice line. Um, but Fee thought about it for a while and decided it was a false choice. And he said, I decided from that day on, by the grace of God, to be a scholar on fire, um, which is brilliant, to bring together thinking deeply about God's word, but also making sure his heart was on fire with the, the life of God and the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a story that's been told this week, as people reflected on his desk, that he began a new term in one of the colleges he, he, he taught in, and he was beginning a course on the New Testament. Uh, and apparently he stood on the desk at the front of the, the room, and he said, this is not a class on New Testament. This is a class on immortality. And someday you're going to hear Gordon Fee is dead, but do not believe it, for he is singing with his Lord and Saviour. Right? I don't know if Dead Poets Society had just come out whenever he, he stood on the desk. Um, and I, as, I, as I read that story, I remembered a really tiny story, which doesn't sound very significant, but I've never forgotten the one time I was really close in a room to Gordon Fee, and I didn't get to speak to him. But we, we went to the church in Vancouver where he and his wife worshipped. He was already well into his 70s by that stage and mostly retired. But he was sitting about four rows in front of me. And the thing I've never forgotten is I, I knew Gordon Fee's reputation as this formidable giant of biblical scholarship. And we were in church and we were singing a, a chorus, which was a really simple chorus. I can't, can't remember now what it was. A really simple chorus about the love of God. And maybe you get a wee bit curious. You wonder, what does a giant of New Testament scholarship do with a, a little chorus like that? And I looked a few rows in front of me and saw the man just arms upraised, completely lost in wonder and love and praise. And that's, it's always stayed with me, just that, that image of a profoundly joyful old man who had spent his life running after the goal, um, using the mind that God had given him to think deeply about things, but never forgetting to be a worshipper, never forgetting to make sure the heart was on fire. Um, and so... Maybe as I finish, I wanted to say, you don't have to be a Bible scholar um, to follow his example. You can be a, a plumber on fire. You can be a doctor on fire. Uh, I was about to say a fireman on fire, but that might not be good. <laughs> you can be a, a factory worker, uh, a stay-at-home parent, a care worker, a retired person on fire. But look for those who are examples of this and then follow in their footsteps. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing as we finish. Um, and let me encourage you, if God's speaking to you this morning,
there's anything going on in your life or your family or your heart and you'd like prayer, uh, there'll be a couple of people uh, just up here to my left, your right, who would love to pray with you this morning so just make a beeline for them. Let's, let's pray. Um, Father, I want to pray as we finish. Um, I want to pray really simply, actually, just that you would help each of us to bring to mind people we know, people we have known, some of whom are in glory now, um, who are examples to us of this kind of life that we've been talking about, who didn't settle but who, who wanted to run after everything that you had for them, who wanted to take hold of that for which Jesus had taken hold of them, and who didn't want to settle for any less, but ran with their lungs bursting towards the goal of knowing Jesus and making him known in our world. Father, help us to bring to mind those people. Help us to look closely at the way they live then help us by your grace and with the help of your spirit within us to follow their example and walk in their footsteps. Father, I want to pray there would be lots of people in this room, in this building today, watching online. I want to pray that you might light a fire in us, that we might be people on fire wherever we go, whatever we do, bringing a little bit of the flavor of heaven bringing a little bit of the atmosphere of your kingdom wherever we go, bringing a little bit of the beauty of Jesus into every room that we walk into. May it be so by your spirit as you work in us. Amen.